Welcome to the Cinephile Hits of It podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade film movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. And I'm William Johnson. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, Dad, glad to have you folks. This is all for tantrum's sake. We're share passions and high fives, wash away any place for hate. No matter what, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we are joined by a pair of special guests, fellow podcasters in the house here. We have Paul Keelan and Jordan Puga of the Cinematic Underdogs podcast. Say hello, gentlemen. What's up, everyone? Thank you both for having us on again. What's up, everyone? It's uh, exciting to finally make it on to Cinephile Hissy Fit. It's been a, a good while in the making, but we're stoked to be here. Thank yeah, you, fellas. It's, it's, it's our treat to get you here. So, yeah. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Uh, and just, just full disclosure while we, before we get deep into the episode, but uh, mm-hmm. I have uh, the first playoff game of the season on my TV right now. So if you suddenly hear me go, oh, my God, Joe Flacco, like you're going to – you're gonna, uh, or, uh, or CJ Stroud does it again, uh, it's probably – uh, just ignore that. I'm just watching See, the game while I'm talking. So I'm glad one of us did our due diligence because you're going to be our score updater then. Because I right. don't have we're going to need this. Screen, so. Well, it literally yeah. just kicked off. So <laughs> yeah, either that or I figured you would be like the uh, Kelly Clarkson chest waxing scene from Forty Year Old Virgin when you just yell Joe Flacco. Joe That's Joe what Flacco. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I only do that during sex. Um, oh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, the the boys from Cinematic Underdogs are here because we're here to do um, two recordings. This first one's going to be, uh, we're both doing two Michael Mann films. So Yay. first up today, we're going to be Black Hat from 2015. Uh, our format normally is this. The recommending lover goes first. They will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high mana case. The hater follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we'll open it up for about 30 minutes to share a conversation with a hit fit really gets chippy. For this one, with our guests, our guests always go first, so I'll let those two guys rock, paper, scissors, see who's going to go from there. Then it's Will, then it's me, because I think I'm the hater of the two of us here, so I gotta be... Yeah, I, I, I really it. liked it, so... Uh-oh. Yeah. Alright. I, I loved it, too, so I think... Uh, I don't know where Jordan stands. He might be ambivalent. He oh, might no, love it. Perfect. I'm on the other end of the fence, so... Wow, then let's do let's ping pong it then. So lover Paul, hater Jordan, lover Will, hater Don. Deal? Cool. Deal. All right. All right. Paul, you're up. All right, I'm the first one on the bell. Are you gonna ring the bell, Don, or is that in post production? Well no, at at the end of five, you start your clock and I'll watch it from there. Ah, thank you, thank you. You're Uh, welcome. I know you're you're eager to hit that bell. You even had it on our draft. Oh, would you look at that five minutes just now? You're good. Fine, go ahead. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, Black Hat, I absolutely love. It grew on me and grew on me. I've seen it three or four times. Um, I watched it first while I was living in Asia. I was living in Korea, but traveling every winter and summer break somewhere in Southeast Asia. And it's just filled with the textures of Southeast Asia. I've spent a few weeks in Hong Kong. I've also been to Macau. I've also, I I could say I've been to Jakarta. Not really. I flew in the airport, drove across town in a bus, and then flew somewhere else in indonesia but at least i spent a good amount of time in indonesia i've also spent some time in malaysia so why do i say all this well i love first and foremost miami vice i'm in the cult fan demographic of that film that has really revived it and turned it into this like beloved object and i think this is the perfect pairing with miami vice i feel like black hat is the like b-roll miami vice just take away the drugs put in cyber you know, hacking culture, take away the Caribbean or, you know, that area, Miami. And, um, <laughs> you, you can even take away the, uh, what's the, the drink that they love in that the mojitos, right? 
and move that into Hong Kong, move that into Southeast Asia. But there's a lot of similarities to it. Like there's a pulsing score, there's beautiful digital cinematography. Uh, there is a sort of sultry lead that, I, you know, in the same way that uh, Chris Hemsworth falls in love very quickly um, in this film, in Black Hat, right? Uh, in Miami Vice, um, we have a similar love story uh, between Colin Farrell and Gong Li, right? And so I think that those love stories have a nice mirroring aspect. I think that there's also a lot of really neat subtext in Black Hat. And uh, I know and I understand a lot of the immediate criticisms of this, that the plot is too uh, murky, it's too confusing and inscrutable. It is a bit understated, but I almost love all these aspects of it. It is such an action, crime, FBI, espionage thriller that was ahead of its time and still is actually, to me, in some ways ahead of its time. And that it works with all these tropes, like these action movie tropes and these thriller tropes, but it plays them so understated and so muted that it makes them way more realistic. Now, a lot of talk recently has been on the two cuts of the film because there was a new cut that was released on FX that Michael Mann himself is behind. He regrets having moved the nuclear incident to the beginning of the film, which they did because they thought it needed to splash on the big screen to really capture audiences. It messes with the timeline. They had to, like I, I read, throw in some post-production sound bites to sort of tweak it to make it even make sense. And it doesn't work and it's confusing and it's bad because it's pandering to our impatient audience mindset when it works so well without it. If you just understand it as a slow burn, if it starts off with the soy stuff on the Chicago stock market and slowly develops into the nuclear incident in Hong Kong and then goes to Malaysia where they have the reveal of the tin and then they're, they're on the sort of ore field and realize that the nuclear reactor was all just a test to learn how to control the reactors through hacking, right? So that they can take the money they earn from the soy to then um, invest into tin and or invest into copper, I think. It's all market stuff, but it makes sense. It checks out. And they're going to sabotage the tin to spike the prices. That was it. So they are investing in tin. It is a bit confusing, but it's the stuff you read. If you read like National Geographic or if you read real travel literature or if you're reading about economic Wall Street Journal stuff that, that is for like serious, like not serious experts, but people who are interested in the nitty gritty of the world. Um, it, it's not so broad. And I love that about it. Um, I'm going to try to fit as much in, in my five minute round as possible. So Chris Hemsworth, I think, is excellent. I do not understand the knee-jerk response is hackers don't need to be skinny. They don't need to be uh, like on the spectrum. They can be buff. They can be handsome. Uh, he just proves along with uh, all the other Marvel people who ever do anything outside of that world as well that they're all excellent actors. And that was one of the reasons why Phase 1 ruled is because like all the Chris's, they're all so good in whatever they do. They're never the sore spot. They're never the thing that takes a film down. If anything, they're often above the material they work with when they go work elsewhere. Um, outside of that universe. And I think here he's young. He's kind of pre-Thor as a goofball. And I love his Chicago accent. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I buy him as 
a dude who spent some time in jail uh, and who got really buff. I, I buy his his commitment, almost his like self programming. That you know that famous line, like I I did my time, not jail time. And I think that there's some quotes by the evil hacker villain in the last 20 minutes that kind of make him a perfect antithesis very quickly, um, where he talks about how he can easily forget people. And so you have these two figures who have very, very um, powerful frames of mind and and a real tight command of their way of thinking. Um, So very quickly, I know they kind of shoehorn the villain at the end. But if you're thinking about it on some sort of a thematic level, you have two interesting cognitive styles kind of going at each other in the last like 20 minutes um, that ends in the culmination of that pretty awesome, uh, like it's a spiritual procession in Jakarta and there's a cool knife fight with magazines. It's a very analog, which is probably a wink to the whole analog digital sort of subtext that's going on. I had two critiques. I, I, I'm very bullish, but I have to bring up my own critiques. It's one that none of those people who are following past Crimson Hemsworth when he's sticking knives in, <laughs> in the baddies' brains, like even pause or stop until there's gunshots. That's ridiculous. And two, the idea that they would do a nuclear hack to have a meltdown as a test run just doesn't make any sense to me. I can't understand why you would choose that. So, anyways. I ended with the negative or the, the salty parts, but I love this movie. It's really a, an underdog and a gem. Good call. Good call. Hit awesome. it again. There you go. There you go. Jordan. Back to month. Or wow. I, I cannot be on like further apart from you on this one, Paul. And we've been trying to think on so many of the things we've watched lately too. So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I was, I think I kind of disagree with you on almost all the things you liked about this one. This one was just hot for me. Um, the action, Chris Hemsworth's performance. I thought this is one of the rare examples of like kind of what you said, where I like him better in the Marvel movies. Uh, I usually like the actors outside of the Marvel movies. I'm um, like you said, they usually, they usually stand out this one. I think the acting across the board in this one is very just like low end dull, not, not moving at all. Um, I did not buy him. I, I, I went with you. I think it's fine. If you, uh, you can be a, a, a ripped hacker. And I have no issue with that. I don't buy him, Paul, as the uh, ex-con. In fact, like the the con, like when he's like the prison warrior, when he does like the um, the phone book and his shiv like tied to his arm and all that, uh, it kind of felt like bad screenwriting. Like someone just watching an episode of like sixty days in or some shit like that, and like how to get that in there. I was like very underwhelmed with the action. In fact, I was like, it was what thirty minutes in till we get like a fight scene, and then we get like. A pretty poor fight scene in that, uh, I guess it's like a restaurant or something like that, right? That first one we get. And at that point, I was thinking completely different movie, but I'm like, I would rather be watching SWAT right now. I, you know, that one with like Colin Farrell and uh, Sammy J. I, I actually like that movie. I'm, I'm one, of the, one of the few people on that one. But I was like, I'd rather watch <laughs> SWAT right now. I'd have been like really feeling the movie by now at that point. Um, I wasn't really into like the 90s, like techno wire tech intro thing. Uh, seeing the inside of your computer and all that stuff it reminded me of just like the Matrix and the 13th floor in the worst way possible. I like both those movies, uh, but it was a very bad gimmick, I think, in this one. Uh, I I felt like there's no exigence to this film. From like Paul, Paul did a good job of explaining the plot, like from the nuclear explosion, which is very dull, um, 
to our villain, who is just a dude in a Hawaiian shirt who looks like someone you'd meet at a bar. Um, our kind of like main henchmen that we're chasing around, all very forgettable, very forgettable characters. Um, like as you mentioned, Paul, is, I like the idea behind our our plots for villainy here. We're, like we're you know we're basically playing the stock market and moving money, and we're we're ahead of all of all these businesses. But it kind of reminded me of like one of the one of the um, I'm not gonna say the worst 007 movies, but why I get it didn't do any favors for Pierce Brosnan. But um, well, there's no world for tomorrow. If I remember right, the name of that one. From 007, the second one. The world, after the, the, the world is not enough. Is yes, the world is not enough. But yeah. I think if you're saying the second one is tomorrow never dies, which tomorrow never dies. Thank, yeah, if tomorrow you never besmirch dies. that on this podcast, you will be. Uh, yeah, thank you for correcting me though. World is not enough is the one with Denise Richards, right? That's world is not enough. Yes. Yeah, that one's fine. Uh, thank you for correcting me on that. Is the other one where we uh, realize again our our villain is just a dude who's really good with money and manipulating stuff. Takes you a long time to get there. I was just really unimpressed with this. Um, like again, the action spares. Um, the second action scene we get when we finally get a shootout scene uh, basically looked like a game of Counter Strike, the video game. Which I mean, in a cool way, there's some cool shots going on there. Uh, but again, very forgettable at that point. When we finally get you know some cool knife action, like you mentioned, Paul. Uh, it's expected. He gets in there with no problem. I was, I just wasn't impressed with this as an action movie, um, in any way. And when I think of like Michael Mann and my like experience with Michael Mann, um, I've never finished uh, Miami Vice all the way through, but Collateral is one I absolutely fucking love. It's a great movie, intriguing, moving you through the whole way. Uh, that's kind of like my entry point into Mann. Uh, of course, Ali, I've seen as well, but. I, I was expecting, I don't know, I was expecting something a little more memorable, a little more compelling. Um, I do like that we have one henchman who looks like uh, Tom Araya from Slayer when he was younger, kind of following around. Slayers! I'm like, oh no, it's just a guy who kind of looks like him. But uh, yeah, I, again, I felt like all the moments of, I guess that would be big reveals in the plot or the moments that are supposed to move your plot around or get you to the next scene were just like, they just fell flat on me. Uh, Chris Hemsworth and his, you know, love interest, when her, you know, their romance was just, there's nothing to it, no magnetism. Uh, I felt a lot of the actors just weren't reacting. They're, I, I think back, they weren't, they're, they're reacting to the, to the dialogue, reacting to the scenes. They weren't creating it um, in, in any way that, as I say, is going to make me really want to watch this again, if I'm being honest. Uh, I'm coming down pretty hard on this one. Uh, I got you. But I just was not, I maybe have too high expectations from man, uh, oh. from what I know, from what I've experienced from him. But this just was, and I, I mean, this as an action film and as just like a, like intrigue mystery, if you want to call it some of that stuff. We rely too heavily on cliches. So I'm going to kind of stop there. I don't want to go keep okay. going on, okay. circling on this uh, same thing I'm written, uh, right. kind of same diatribe I'm going on. But yeah, overall, I mean, if we were doing like the our underrated, overrated thing, I'd be overrated on this one. There you go. So, yeah, bring the cinematic underdog juice in here. That's what we want. All right, cook off. Will, you're ping ponging yeah. it back to a lover. Well, uh, First of all, great, great job by both of you guys because you all brought up excellent points, good perspectives. And actually, it's kind of funny 
that uh, you guys are on the opposite ends because I was I was taking a look back. I I, I went outside of the podcast. I talked about how I'm taking a little bit of a movie hiatus for like a week or two, so I did not rewatch this. So I'm kind of going off my memories of when I did watch this, which apparently, according to Letterbox, was July 6, twenty twenty one. Um, but I, one thing I noticed in my review of it is I said, I, I at one point I, I quote I, in my review, I say, I literally couldn't decide between two and a half stars or four. And I eventually decided on four, um, because I don't know some of the things that Jordan was saying as a complaint and some of the things that Paul was mentioning as a strength, uh, I've kind of noticed in a lot of Michael Mann movies and Michael Mann, very distinctive director, because, what I love about him, and this is what gets him in trouble with the studios because he always goes over budget and he's very indulgent. I mean, he does all kinds of weird things to get the art across. Like, for example, in my second favorite movie of all time, Heat, which he directed, um, you know, I think they spent like $2 million like on the score budget. And, it, and he was literally just like, just do something weird. I don't care. Just, just give me like a bunch of stuff. And they ended up not using a lot of it. But the point is, is that he's willing to experiment. And he's willing, and and I like that he's, he's he plays with expectations. Now, granted, I'm a big man guy. He made, like I said, for a long time my number one film. Now my number two film of all time. So I have high expectations with him. But one thing I've noticed is, so I'm going to be a little biased going into a man film because he's one of my favorite directors. Um, and it's it should be no surprise that I find something good in all of his films, including one we're going to record on a little bit later called Ferrari, which is in my top 10 of the year, actually. Um, but the expectations thing is an interesting word. We talk about it a lot on Cinephile Hissy Fit um, because expectations can doom you or can or can when they deliver, they're great. But if something gets a little tweaked and you can't get it, it's it, it can really ruin your experience. And. I saw Ferrari on Christmas Day. I went by myself on Christmas. It's not that sad. Don't worry. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> it was fine. And um, I was sitting there, and there was a lot of people in there. And I think, you know, based on advertisements and things, they were kind of expecting a Ford versus Ferrari kind of thing, or uh, maybe not a Fast and the Furious thing, but uh, they were wise enough to not completely uh, advertise this thing as something it's not, but I think they were expecting something a little bit more high octane. And I do remember just kind of feeling the crowd, watching the crowd that, uh, and I promise this isn't a Ferrari review, but that, that there was some rumbling around cause they weren't sure exactly where this was going, but it all kind of comes to a head at the end. It all kind of makes sense at the end. And, and you end up appreciating the time spent, uh, that the time being given to you, that patience, that extra moments or beats, uh, that are given to you. This is the same thing with Miami Vice as well. Miami Vice, you're kind of like, okay, where is this going? It's kind of uh, not all over the place. It's a little rude to say, but it's just that it, Michael Mann's not afraid to take his time. He's not afraid to build that universe and do those kind of things. Um, and I, I see that in almost all of his films. Black Hat is no different. Um, just for a little bit of timeline thing, uh, uh, Jordan mentioned, you know, Chris Hemsworth. Pre Thor, this was actually, and and Don and I talk about this a lot. This is actually four years since Thor, and this was in this weird period where um, Chris Hemsworth was kind of being pushed as a leading man and was not meeting much success outside of the Marvel formula. Uh, you know, he had uh, Rush, which a lot of people like. I think it's okay, and he was very good in it. And uh, he had this. He had uh, in the Heart of the Sea. Um, just a lot of stuff that just didn't get traction with the general public. 
Uh, and even he will admit that he does not like his accent or his performance in this movie. I think it is fine. I don't think it's great, uh, but I think it's fine. I, it's not unbelievable for me. Um, but um, it, it's 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 definitely not perfect. Um, I was not fully bought in to the whole thing. I did think it was a mesmerizing experience, both from a visual perspective and as an experience. Um, it is very hard to make hacking exciting, um, especially when you're trying to be uber realistic. Um, but like I said, even the, and even with the visual stuff, I mean, wh- another example I thought of, I just watched hackers for the first time and they're comparing like the insides of computers to like, um, like skyscrapers and buildings and things. Um, like I said, was I fully bought in on that level? No, I don't know anything about computers. However, I like to see pieces of puzzles being put together. Uh, and even if I don't understand how it's being put together, the fact that I know I'm watching something coming together, and this is the same with Ferrari, Collateral, Heat, almost all of his movies, the end result for me is what sells the picture. Uh, the buildup might be a little uncomfortable, it might be a little against the grain, but in the end, you're going to get a full experience. And that's what I appreciate in the end. So I ended up going four out instead of two and a half. You in that fucking range, <laughs> two and a half to four. Oh, <laughs> man. That's, that reminds me of that 61 line. I like a girl with small hands because it makes my dick look bigger. Yeah, that's what that sounds like. My goodness. All right. That's um, what I was aiming for. Yeah, I guess it's you and Mickey Mantle. Okay. Um, no, I'm far more closer to Jordan on this one where um, I, see, I see the pieces and the parts that are here. I see the intention where, um, yes, you can you can have hackers that aren't, you know, nebish dweebs and things like that. And you can have, um, a multi international kind of, um, you know, plot that has its, its layers and its slow boil. I, I can do all that, you know, that's fine. Um, you want to make economics and the way, you know, what would really cripple this world in, in a way that would be non-traditional, but at the, at the same way, still be challenging and would need a hacker's thing. I get all that, all that pieces and parts are there. But at the same time, when you say puzzle, I would rather take those little cardboard pieces and put them down on a little table and cute little things that my kids didn't watch this one again. Um, it's just, um, it's yeah, it's all the pieces are there, but I'll be the guy that says they're just not, I don't know, um, kind of honed or sharp enough. Like, um, same thing. Like you, you kind of hear about this movie with like you. I'm, we'll borrow it up a little bit with the idea of a score. Um, when like the score is kind of used, but then kind of thrown out, and then they kind of pe- pe- patchwork together unused bits from other movies to kind of pe- fill in the gaps. I'm like, mm, see, you know, you know, maybe you don't have a handle on your movie, you know, or if you can't decide where to put your right scene and you need a director's cut up, it's kind of, we've been having that argument a little bit on the internet and even in here where like, Hey, maybe make the director's cut your only cut. Like where for me, it's that level of, if you can't hone your movie, if you can't tame your movie down or get it done right, maybe you don't have a very good movie in the first place. Or if the studio has to come in here and rein you in, cause you can't figure it out. Maybe again, you don't have the right movie in the first place. So it's tricky where I get that there's meddling that happens to some artists and things like that. And I'm all for artists getting their way, but, and, and getting their best version out there. But at the same time, you got to make something that's mildly discernible in, in, in some of those pieces and parts. Um, for Hemsworth, he's okay. Um, he's, it, he's, he's there. Um, and I know he's a big, you know, big hunking presence and I didn't need him to go in there and choke slam dudes and play Hulk Hogan. Like he's probably going to do in a couple of years. But, um, um, I needed uh, just 
and, and he sits down on a computer and he, you know, he can scowl right enough and squint his eyes enough, but for some reason it just wasn't enough. And, and Tang Wei, who is gorgeous woman, um, from if you've seen, uh, it's, if I think it's Ang Lee's Less Caution, like, oh my goodness, the woman can take your breath away in terms of being a, a fetching presence or a, or a, a um, unique love interest. And I don't think they give her enough either. Viola Davis can be an ass kicker. We've all seen her be a corporate red ass. Um, that's always nice here. But then, what is it, three years later, she'll play Amanda Waller and do this a whole lot better. Um, I don't know where we're going with the brother thing, uh, where he's kind of just there. Is he there to make sure we all get street food in time at the, at the office? You know, uh, Can we get Holt McAnally to get a little bit more going on and then look tough guy and take a couple bullets at the end? I don't know. It just... um. And then as as kind of as Jordan said, and even as Paul said, like by the time you get to the Hawaiian shirt wearing, like I'm kind of the guy behind the guy villain. I'm like, Yar? Like 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 Jordan said, like, I think you were just in the end of the bar ordering ordering an Amstel Light. Is that really the guy in charge of all of this nefarious stuff? Not that I needed that to be a Bond villain level kind of guy. I didn't need Jonathan Price to pull the curtain back and be like, it was me. But um <laughs> just more. Um, or it needed to be sharper. Cause even when you get to the parts where this becomes action, um, maybe cliche does sneak in here a little bit where we're like, we're watching bullets go through shipping containers, but just conveniently enough high enough to not hit our guys. Like, no, no, no. If we're mm. going through shipping containers, hit some people, you know? And um, Michael Mann still will not, I mean, in a good way, doesn't pull punches. He'll kill some characters. So, you know, spoiler alert, there are people in this movie with headlining names that do die. And that help, that helps a little bit because that's the reality of the situation. But we do get to a point where the movie ends in a big crowd of people who are completely unpanicked by automatic weapons and knives being wielded amongst them in a large crowd. And I'm like, it looks cool. Really looks cool that you have this, like trying to fight through the sea and currents of people to get to your man, but or your quarry of your fight, but anyone else in, in anywhere, <laughs> anyone else anywhere in any other movie or world would be screaming and running for the hills with a dude with a, you know, a half cocked Uzi in his arm. That looks like the guy who would sell you French toast on old school. But, um, I know he's a good actor in other places, but still, um, <laughs> no, it's a, just, um, yeah, it's the parts are there. I would love to see. I mean, I know that director's cut you told me is not really, it's just a shift of one thing to another. I think it'd be interesting to see just to see if it would lay a little differently. Maybe that's like you said, that Chicago side might get emphasized a little bit where the slow boil of like, Hey, this really does mean this, but by the time we're trying to manipulate the market, manipulate the trade, maybe that would simmer a little better if it wasn't, coming down from the meltdown scene, if that was more of a, you know, one third, two thirds across the movie climax, little, little peak piece, I can see where that could be rearranged and work a little better. But, um, yeah, it just, it's just kind of there. Um, it, it, but it's difficult because we're, we're trying to describe this, describe this and, and, and will, will catches me when I get to these points. So like, this is Michael Mann. And when you put that man's name on it, he's right. The E word of expectations comes up where, it all, it all doesn't have to be heat every time, but at the same time, mm-hmm. hey, you, you are a sharp guy who can do things sh- sharply. Let's see a little bit more edge. So that's kind of where I landed. Nice. Um, all right. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, hang tight and please enjoy this short announcement from the Ruminations Radio Network. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Redrum, all things horror, from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry. The killer's behind you. All right, welcome back. Um, yeah, open it up for discussion, gentlemen. Well, look, real quick, I'm gonna. I usually like to let the guest speak first, but I do want to address the whole thing about the villain being the guy at the end of the bar. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, 
my the reason why I don't mind that is because I think we all know, and not just because I'm a social studies teacher now, but uh, but in general, we know that wars and uh, battles and intrigue, you know, are not fought anymore on battlefields. They're fought in the economic boardrooms and on the computer. And anyone can, at this point, be a powerful person. And so I kind of, that's why I don't see that as a negative, because the the field of war has changed. Yeah, but that's the guy... That's a good you know, point. bankrolling and scaring, you know, henchmen to be in his charge. Like I, I didn't buy it. Well, like, yeah. okay. I don't, I don't know if this is my weird comparison of the episode. Cause I usually, oh. do that. it's not, it's, it's not, but like another movie I recently watched that kind of traded in a little bit of the cold war energy and some of the more propulsive action of previous entries was I watched the shadow recruit, Jack, the Jack Ryan shadow recruit, the one with Chris Pine as Jack Ryan, you know, um, you know, and it was a cold, totally different take than, you know, what we had seen from the Harrison Ford entries and stuff where it's a little bit more propulsive, a little bit more, you know, action-packed, lots of explosions, kind of lots of gunplay. Uh, and it was more of a financial thing. You know, they had Jack Riot as kind of a, um, you know, stockbroker undercover, and he's finding things out by hacking things. And, you know, part of the intrigue is going into buildings and plugging things in. And, you know, they do have Kenneth Branagh's villain at one point shoot somebody, but it's it's mostly a war of ideas and timing. It's not about necessarily, you know, fisticuffs and strength and brawn and weapons and stuff. And I and that's why I kind of like it. I mean, like I said, I don't know anything about computers. You could you could tell me that, you know, somebody's hacking into something with some kind of thing and I'd be like, oh, OK, fine, whatever, I, I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, so I don't know how realistic this is or not, but I, I just I just think that the, the concept of action in general and a villain in it, uh, our perspectives have changed of what a villain can be. And that's why I defend that a little bit. That's just that's my take. point. Then one thing though, is I think that's also highlights how this movie fails to establish the, like, you know, build anything into a villain. Like you said, they don't have to be a, you know, a cliche villain, but I think it comes down to that phone call scene where they're like negotiating the kind of like basically negotiating a ransom, but he's getting his money back or whatever, the money that's in the account that he stole. And to me, it's just an example of like a poor face-off scene. Yeah. Right? Where it's, it's, that's the cliche. You have to have your confrontation with the villain before you actually meet him. And that's it. Like through the through the phone, right? We have plenty of great movies where you're calling and you haven't met the villain yet, but they've talked somehow of like No Country for Old Men, like Ransom, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to, of course, get a, get a scene where they're going to meet, right? And I think that's where it falls short, where's the setups for all those things. They're all just, there's nothing to really drive them. Um, like the attachments to our characters, like when, like you said, when they, when you, I did like the spoiler room, when one of them dies off and it becomes kind of like a revenge mission, you don't really feel like it's a revenge story. Um, kind of follows in some ways. It reminds, it reminds me of like a, just a low intensity, like a, like, like a, like you turn the volume down to three on like Bad Boys 2, right? <laughs> like the same length of that movie, right? It has a lot of the same beats and kind of setups, but it doesn't, it never gets that kind of like, I think Michael Bay directed that one, right? That kind of just off the wall action, uh, yeah. where, but Bay does a good job, though, of making all those people they run into, you know, memorable, scary, and, t- you know, something worth overcoming. And I feel like everything, there's nothing worth overcoming in this movie for our characters. And that's yeah. one of those things that it just fails or, in the show now. That's a big part of having your villain and hero, right? Yeah. Or if you're building up to that climax. I'm oh, sorry. Don't yeah. Or if you're building this heady, slow boil, hey, things don't happen on battlefields kind of thing, then then don't devolve it down to. You know the knife fight and the gunfight in the in the town square. You know, like we're mm. we're back to action movie stuff. Where pick pick a lane. Are you are you a heady yeah. thriller or are you a, a bad eighties movie? 
another example, like we get that when we, the whole thing to get to the device that they're using to make the text, right? Cool yeah. idea. Like I'm with you, Will. Like I don't know shit about computers. I'm not the, I, I'm the guy bugging the IT dude. He's always like, did you <laughs> turn it off? I'm like, yeah, I tried that. And I did click control out, delete what's next. Um, but you know, <laughs> it's a cool thing. It's like a giant reveal, but it's also kind of boring. Cause it's like, that was, that was a lot of like them just doing this to explain to us dummies. Hey, there's a tech out here where you can like, Text and like basically text without texting, and it requires people to meet up. I'm like, cool. So like, you know, it's one of those things. I feel like it's also like maybe there, there's an audience for this of much smarter people than than me who probably like were really into that. Like, oh yeah, I totally get that. Uh, but again, it's like one of those exa- examples, like a reveal that's functional for the plot and like what's going on, how we're gonna get to our next character, how we're gonna get to the next reveal. Um, was it was cool, but it wasn't like mind blowing. And again, it's, it is that's that's like like you mentioned the, the battlefield we're talking about, like this this digital landscape, this tech landscape, um, whatever you want to call it in like 2015, right? Uh, felt kind of dated, even for not even be that old of a movie. Uh, like you mentioned, um, Hackers, which it reminded me of too. I'm like, it's like the same thing, just we're just updating the uh, the symbolism we're using to explain, you know, what's the unexplainable to dumb people like me. Well, I mean, what it, so. Yeah, I, I think we all can, I can comfortably say to all of you that, I mean, I don't know, I, I'm not sure, but Jordan already said he doesn't know anything. I know Don is a tech teacher, or Ish. a tech, Ish. A tech Ish. teacher, Ish. but I mean, I don't know anything about computers. Paul, what's your, what's your well, no. take? Well, for me, like, here, I'll jump in, like, if I get where they're going with, like, market manipulation and making a, uh, an economic slash ecological disaster to drive what they're doing. Can that be made of slightly more scary and exciting? That's all I'm going for. Like it's there, but scare me, you know. Well, yeah, I guess I, uh, well, I'll jump I, in actually. You know, go first, first of all. No, I was just gonna say the only reason why I'm asking you, Paul, is because I, I want to know about. I mean, we're talking about the logistics of it, how it how it feels realistically. But one thing that always gets me about man, it and is, and this has always been a testament to his power as a filmmaker to me is, uh, and I'll give it a little short example is like um, on the heat. Um, uh, DVD or the director's DVD or whatever the hell it is. There's a there's a um, uh, a feature on there where they visit all the locations of the film, and the locations are so freaking mundane on the special features, but like man made makes them so vibrant and alive. Like in Heat, like LA is another character in the movie. Yeah. Uh, collateral, LA is another character in the movie. I feel like the a lot of the setting of this movie and in Ferrari and a lot of other stuff that. that he makes the setting part of the character and there's a vibe to it. Like, like Miami yeah. doesn't feel like Miami. I've been to Miami. Like it's mm-hmm. not like the Miami in, in Miami vice, like from Michael Mann. Example that actually, um, my dad's a, a retired set painter and he worked on Miami vice, like on location. And like yeah. you mentioned, just a perfect example of like how into the sets Michael Mann is mm-hmm. and how it influences, like you said, his story design, like how much money he spends to get shit right to him. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Absolutely. There's this, there's this yeah. house in Cuba that he wanted a certain way, right? And they end up filming it in, uh, I think it was Uruguay and Argentina. There's these two spots that went for like the same house that they're, it's only in a couple of scenes, as I recall. I haven't actually seen all of uh, Miami Vice, but anyways, this was the one they called my dad in. He does location painting, specializes in aging and all this stuff. Um, oh, that's awesome. And so, anyways, they're working on this house in, on location. And uh, one of the art directors comes in, they're running down, going through it. And uh, there's one other person with him. He thought it was a, my dad thought it was just a, like a local dude. Um, who was, there's all these little, like kind of locals around giving guides and stuff like that. And uh, anyways, uh, 
uh, it ended up being Michael Mann, who just oh, wow. was in there really learning, again, learning from the painter, my dad, like what they're doing, how they're doing, it, and then asking them, like, he showed him this picture of this house that inspired him. He's like, how can we make this this? Um, and it, he basically had a learning moment where he's like, the reason you're getting it wrong is because the lighting in this picture that you're using as a reference, you're, you're not creating it right. It doesn't exist, actually, right? He's like, the way, but it's, it's really, it's a learning moment for him. And it is, again, like a way to learn how to get the fake to be real in his mind, if, if I'm explaining that right. Um, yeah, cool, sure. cool moment. He's a really cool dude, my dad was saying. Um, and actually, he sends my family a, a Christmas card every year now. Because uh, like a few years later, my dad bumped into him at the studio office when he gives my mom makes the jam every year and he's giving it out to like his friends and stuff. Um, and uh, someone gave it to Michael Mann because he was in the office and now he sends my family like a Christmas card every year. But well, side <laughs> speak to your point though, Will. Like this dude is really into like he goes out there to you know with with the uh, with the peasants, if you will, uh, to see and really learn and like you know apply that to the craft of directing, which. Uh, well, and I just shout out all his film, so please keep sending that that uh, card, Michael Mann. Let's get to it. Right? Like, like, this is my opinion, not my family. You can even write like I'm a disappointment as an adult. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I br- that's why I bring it up though, because for some, for for me, sometimes it's the effort that yeah. makes a difference for me. Maybe not necessarily the execution. Like, and I know execution is obviously important in film and stuff, but like knowing how detail oriented he is, knowing that there's kind of a vibe there. Like I, I, that's what kind of propels it for me is like, yeah, I can see these cracks. I can see some of these errors, maybe in the storytelling, the screenwriting, even some of the logic of the picture. But the fact that I'm so invested in the experience of this movie and he's convinced me to be into something that I don't know anything about, like hacking and computers and all this shit that I've never thought of and adding an intrigue level to it. I think that's why I can forgive it. Some of its problems because I just get that vibe from it that just makes me feel different. You know what I mean? That's kind of why. That's why I was wondering what everybody's tech, you know, expertise is because because like yeah, I can understand especially if someone's like a super super duper tech person, they might be like, well, well, actually, they didn't get this right. But but like for (laughs) for a novice like me and maybe some others in here and and Paul too, because he seemed to like it as well. Like I don't know. I feel like I'm being taken down an edu- I'm not an educational journey, but just taken down a journey of something I never would have thought I'd be interested in the first place. And he made it interesting and, and had a vibe to it and, and kind of an unearthliness to it that really made me really made me kind of sit up and take notice, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think you have to watch this on a vibe level first and foremost. Um, and I guess everything I'll say will come off as apologies. But I think one of his biggest problems, and I can see it still being a critique, is that he has to marry to some degree what audiences want to what he, I think, is more interested in. And it often comes off in friction with one another. And I think it comes off at times in friction here, right? Like there's some lines at the end when they are having like the one-on-one sort of knife fight and the baddie says, I'm a gamer. I I hire people to do sub-symbolic stuff, right? Um, First of all, it's it's a it's a hilarious line and it's a weird fusion of like an eighties um, campy over the top, like mm-hmm. villain line, right? Um, yeah. Like get over here, almost a mortal combat line or something. <laughs> but then it also is like way too smart for that. Right. Because he's like talking about like how the new evil runs the world behind the tactile physical stuff. Right. 
Sub-symbolic. I've never even heard that phrase before, but you understand that he... You, have, you haven't heard that phrase before? I've seen your Twitter. No, I've not heard that portmanteau before. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I... I understood it right away, um, right? Uh, so anyone, he, he, he works in the realm of symbolism, right? He works, he manipulates tools, and this is all based off of language and communication on a weird level, right? We have stock options. That's actually a language and zeros and ones, and right? That's what the Chris Hemsworth line is all about, right? This is not about ones or zeros or code, right? So he's going back to the analog. He's going back to the morality of flesh on flesh at the end. It's actually a hyper-symbolic scene, it's trying to hit these 80s beats. It's doing so much at the same time that it's kind of uh, ironically mirroring something that happens earlier in the film when they're talking about this new code, right? And they're throwing right. a lot of hacker jargon, which I, I appreciated. Rat is constantly thrown around, right? Which means remote access tool. And I'm not an expert on this stuff. I'm not piecing it all together, but I'm definitely piecing the plot um, as it's progressing all the main you need to know so there's like a micro and a macro going on and some of the micro details i'm just vibing with and some of the, but i'm getting the macro stuff enough to follow the lines of the plot but earlier what i'm saying is they're talking about the code right they're analyzing this code that was used to uh hack into i don't know if it at, at this point is the the chicago stock market to disrupt the soy options or yeah, the soy yeah or if it's the hacker but anyways Part of the code is eloquent and part of it is sloppy and it's almost a self-reflexivity, uh, like a bit on the, on the film itself. And I feel like he is actively trying to experiment and make things look ugly, right? Some of the action sequences when he goes yeah. to like the digital handheld shaky cam, he knows that doesn't look beautiful. Like it looks ugly. And I, I, I think that's audacious and it makes it visceral and raw and gritty. And I like actually the, the shootouts, how anti- entertaining they are like some of the yes. main the characters get killed right away mm -hmm. and it's so callous it barely even cares well have you, have you seen public enemies have any of you guys yeah. seen public yeah, enemies? yeah of course it's, it's it's the same thing there too like you kind of think of when you see this kind of gangster imagery with the you know with the tommy gun with the big circular barrel and everything you, mm -hmm. you kind of think of mm -hmm. the expectation of what those fights look like and, and even films that kind of throw back to it, like a gangster squad with Sean Penn, you know, like they, they kind of play with those tropes of the thirties and forties gangster film. And like, yeah, Michael Mann will kind of do these things like ugly on purpose, you know, like he'll mm -hmm. show like, and it won't be just on a visual level. Like it won't be just like this ugly firefight where there's not a lot of blood or not a lot of like, you know, the sound is flat because that's really how guns sound. I mean, guns are loud. Mm -hmm. Yes. But they're not like, you know, pew, pew, yeah. bing, bing, you know, like yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But also like, he'll look at like the effects of how that affects the environment. Like I, I always remember this one shot in public enemies where he's, I think he kidnaps a bank teller or something and he's firing the Tommy gun directly next to this dude's ear. And the guy's like yeah. ear is bleeding. And he's like holding his head. Like this is so fucking loud. And it's just ugly. And, and, but yeah, that's kind of the, yeah, that, that's, I, I, I admire that aesthetic because once again, it's playing with expectations. It's giving that real, realistic bent to it. I know, I know a lot of people, you know, like you're not going to get a John Woo kind of thing, but even, even in, you know, his most heralded action scene of his career, which is the gunfight in heat, you know, what makes that so dynamic is not necessarily like the action. I mean, it's generally just 
a couple of guys walking around about a 30 to 40 foot radius, you know, mm-hmm. shooting back and forth. And a lot of guys are just behind vehicles. It's not that it's that visceral nature of like the sound of the gun going off in the middle of a city street or, you know, how the bystanders are reacting or stuff like that. It's, it's the focus isn't what people would expect from an action scene and a lot of that stuff. And that's something that I, I really admire. And I think does happen in this film as well. So. Yeah. I mean, the settings too, like they're in a drainage tunnel for one. Um, there's other shots too, of the bad guys, like hanging out kind of in a fight club, like uh, they're in a tall building in Jakarta walking mm-hmm. along and it's open aired. Um, that, that reminds me of a lot of nineties films. Um, there's like textures to the spaces he chooses, um, whether it's like a Hong Kong, just like um, hole in the wall restaurant or, or, or where they're staying after they go rogue and they're kind of staying in a hostel. I was noticing that like the wood had scratches in the back. Little tiny details feel so much more lived in than all these other types of action movies these days that are so manicured to look so yeah. sleek and cool. And I love how uncool his stuff is. And I think it's very uncool on purpose. Um, and that level of, uh, not only detail, but authenticity that it gives it, uh, is just something I really appreciate. And having spent times like in $20 hostels in Hong Kong, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and so forth. And, and in Indonesia, I I really feel like he got a sense of the place as an outsider. I mean, you know, he's no Wong Kar Wai or anything like that. Like he's not capturing like the real essence of these places. But he shouldn't either, because this is one of the few films that actually earns its international uh, hodgepodge of settings, right? Um, Because we know all the modern action movies do this. Most of the superhero movies do this, right? We have like a setting in Africa, a setting in Asia, a setting in Europe. And, you know, they all have a different action sequence in these spots. And you understand, we could all get it from a capital and market perspective as well, right? Because these films are now screening in all these areas, right? And so you want these audiences to feel part of them. and. There's nothing wrong with that, but this film, because it's about international hacking and cybercrime that that is transnational, it crosses borders. um, It it really feels like it it makes sense. Uh, The bad guys, not only the guy that they finally get to, right, with the kind of curly hair from Europe, but his sort of main, where is he from? Does anyone remember where he's from? It's a good question. Elias or something, right? Yeah, Fridays. What, where's that? TGI Fridays. <laughs> no, not that. The guy looks legitimately real to me. Like he looks like uh, when you watch those Vice documentaries and they go somewhere and they're meeting oh, yeah. like people. Like he he uh, feels like someone off the streets. And there's like other kind of Pacific Islander dudes hanging around. They they all look way more legitimate to me. They don't look like these cartoonish henchmen. Actually, they look like the sort of the pirates you'll see being photographed in National Geographic magazine. Um, you talk about the ones that are with like the number two Hutchman? Yeah, I'm talking about okay. all the people around him. They all have a look that isn't so cinematic, and I actually like uh, their their non cinematic uh, yeah. look. Um, and really quickly too, but uh, you brought up Jordan the Matrix reference, right? With going uh, in, I didn't like the intro too much where he's following the cables, right? But there's a time in this movie where we go into computers, right? And yeah. it moves from like the uh like a circuit board right it goes from like one layer to another layer to another layer and we're looking at the fibers right and you can really capture the infinite in the infinitesimal there and what i love is that a lot of these films use that as like a showy sleek just like aesthetic 
mm, signifier. Like it's an establishing shot only an infinitesimal one. Yeah, yeah. But it's exactly. not Tron Legacy either. Like, hey now. You, the killer does it actually in their in its opening credits in a very different sense. The Matrix right. did it brilliantly with the zeros and ones. Um, but here he sits in that, right? And we're literally watching the electric nodes sort of populate and pulse. And you realize that there is this sub-language. There's this, the, this micro affects the macro. And there's a sense of drama and this, the, his, his willingness to linger in that moves it beyond just an establishing shot or a filler shot and gives it almost its own dramatic depth. And it, to me, it actually became quite like, I don't mean psychedelic in a corny sense. I just mean like he's actually getting at the fact that all these exchanges and this power uh, dispute is also based on electrical micro impulses, right? That are mm-hmm. rapidly shooting. I think, think that I just appreciated that he went that nitty gritty in that. Interesting. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I'm vibing with you on that one for sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, cybernetic is at the bayer this at the at the bottom of this, and he gets in the layer and the layer and the layer and a layer of it. It's not just like, ooh, look at this flashy thing because it's a hacker. I think you, you mentioned the killer. That's a that's a great comparison because it's kind of that in between that I think maybe Jordan was looking for, where it's got the it has the tropes of what you would expect from maybe certain action films or certain spy genre or whatever you want to call it, but it, 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 uh, it uh, perverts expectations just enough to kind of be its own thing. Um, and the killer kind of does that on a more popular level. I, I can obviously see people watching and enjoying the killer more than they would black hat as, as did oh, I, yeah. but mm-hmm. I think that's that, that, that might be the, the edge maybe they're looking for with that balance of like you have like a, like a true auteur, like David Fincher who puts his own angle on things. Uh, but also, um, you know, uh, adds enough audience element to make it pleasurable to a more general audience, I guess, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. Right. The killer's such a more pop and popcorn friendly film. Like it sings, it moves, it's sleek. I, I on your episode, right. Both you and Don were saying like, it doesn't feel like a shot is out of place or like yeah. it is too long and this is almost this is the almost antithesis of that it's very shabby yeah. right i know it's very, like i would yeah. i see places to shave in this movie all over the place you know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i do too it's fleshy it's very impressionistic he has that score that he like loves from miami vice too right where it's kind of explosions in the sky i don't know who actually does it or like mogway um, oh yeah i got this note on this it's um so it was supposed to be harry gregson williams who's a pretty traditional brassy composer yeah. But then um, most of Gregson Williams' work was replaced by compositions by, sure enough, Atticus Ross and Leopold Ross. So half of your, mm-hmm. you know, half of your Fincher team. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and then it, there were it, five, it, one more thing, five themes originally composed for, by Ryan Ammon for the score Elysium were reused two years later in Black Hat. So, peace uh, mail, shabbiness, <laughs> like you said. So Yeah. It, it, has a, it has that vibe where you're just like, we keep using that word, but you know the the, the speedboat scene in Miami Vice, um, and I'm forgetting the song. I even have this song on my Spotify list. I love it so much. Is but it the audio? Is it the audio slave song? The, the audio slave song is killer in that too, but it's not the audio slave song I'm okay. referencing. But yeah. that's a great song too. But he, he, that's a great moment too, right? He uses these. I mean, even the Lincoln Park Jay Z mashup in the beginning absolutely yeah. rules in that movie. Um, oh, that I still yeah. vibe from. I mean, I know we're an anti-trailer podcast, but yeah. That Miami Vice trailer with that Jay Z Lincoln Park mashup is still one of the greatest trailers ever made. Mm-hmm. Like Game I still trailer. watch that from time to time. 
Oh, it's Absolutely. so good. It's, I mean, that was back when trailers didn't tell you everything. Yeah. It just was no, like... I was just going to say that. Yeah. And that was a vibe trailer. It was just mm-hmm. like, okay, we're in the club. We're drinking mojitos. We're going to have Jamie Foxx and, uh, and uh, what's his name with uh, Colin Farrell with his crazy, uh, you know, uh, mullet. With facial hair and going, it's, yeah. It's just going to be them driving around town. You, you don't know, no idea what the plot is, what anything's going on, but it had that vibe, man. That was just vibing. Love yeah. it, yeah. I wish this had a little bit more of that, Same. too. It, it has it a bit with Hemsworth, right? And uh, Trang, the, the two, you know, the romance going that they have, right? But it doesn't have quite enough. Yeah. The one last yeah. thing I wanted to bring up, uh, to kind of go throw back to what Jordan said about Michael Mann's attention to detail. I think why a lot of people love him, and I think this is what you also said, Will, and this is the last thing I think I probably have to really say about this film, is that I think one of his problems, too, is he loves the esoteric stuff so much um, that it is hard to entertain with. And he had to cut some scenes mm. that I find absolutely fascinating. So, like, there's, this, there's a shot of a soy ship disembarking, so they had to uh, bring it back to port that it was in the film at first. Uh, in the first cut and the reason why they, they they bring the ship to port is because insurance rates skyrocketed on the soy because the market was manipulated and that's just a whole level of like people call that ridiculous but i think that's brilliant i think that level of minutia really captivates me and it's not that level of realism actually really captivates me and i feel like um what this comes down to again and again, whether it's moving the nuclear thing to the beginning or having some of these silly lines thrown into an otherwise sort of understated film, is this tension between man as a like this expert and technician who loves and is very curious about the knowledge of things and the need to entertain. And mm. I, I think that that's my like thesis of this. And I get that because entertainment is our first and foremost factor, right? It doesn't do well. That this was a huge bomb. We didn't talk about yeah. that, but this was yeah. an absolute oh, yeah. all-time bomb. So, yeah, and it has thirty percent or something on Rotten Tomatoes still. People yeah. do not like. I don't this. think it. De- I don't think it deserves it. I think this movie deserves to be seen. Um, you just got to marinate with it a little bit more. You still mm-hmm. might see the shortcomings in your own whatever it is your tastes and expectations, but mm-hmm. uh, it did not deserve this bomb treatment now I, I may be low on yeah. it but you should still see it you know oh yeah it came out the, the same weekend as american sniper which absolutely wow, just raked. yeah blew it to smithereens in the box office which is kind of a, just a fascinating thing like a, a kind of a litmus test for american audiences i mean i'm not against either of the films i think they're both uh they have their merits but i, I think that's so fascinating that juxtaposition Sorry. Sorry, guys. I said, oh, my God, because we literally have a shootout right now. I mean, they are scoring touchdowns on oh, yeah. every single, single <laughs> possession right now. Like, like while we were just talking in the last 10 minutes, there's been three scores. So, oh, my just, goodness. Oh, wow. crazy. Yeah. It's 17-14 uh, Texans right now. They just had a 75, 75-yard touchdown catch. So this is almost more loyal to our podcast than our own podcast. We got like moves and sports. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when people listen to it in February going like, are they fucking talking about the Browns? Flashbacks when they get to this episode. Yeah. Well, so, well, yeah, somebody's going to be heartbroken, but uh, that's, that's actually a good point. Cause we're hitting our, we're kind of hitting our limit. Yeah. Talk yeah. about you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about your podcast. I mean, unless anybody has some final thoughts, I think we've talked about it pretty well uh tell us a little bit about your podcast where we can find it what it's about what the structure of it is and where we can find you on socials for sure do you want to take this 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our podcast called Cinematic Underdogs. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Music. Of course, if you just Google it, uh, Google Cinematic Underdogs. Uh, we try to put episodes up uh, like bi-weekly, would you say, Paul? Yeah, definitely. Bi-weekly is our rate. Um, yeah, uh, we cover uh, sports movies, all of them, from your kids' movies to your tier one movies, like Any Given Sunday, uh, oh, yeah. TV shows like Ted Lasso. Uh, docu-series like The Last Dance. Uh, we're going to be covering Messi soon. Um, racing movies, you know, anything like that. Uh, we try to keep it light. We're kind of like a mix between a conversation at a sports bar and a intense English. Yeah, lecture. but you guys also do post-apocalyptic sports movies, which makes me so oh, happy. Yeah. Like yeah, that's the range, the range yeah, you fellas cover, you, got, you go into documentaries, you do indies. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, definitely so stretch it out as much as we can. Yeah, it's a great show. I'm not. I'm not just saying that because I was on the episode about Endgame, which is uh, kind of a <laughs> pseudo death race 2000 hunting the the most dangerous game kind of film in post apocalypse. But uh, no, but then generally, like when you guys put that stuff up there, it's like so interesting and getting all over the place. And then, of course, uh, where can you guys be found on Twitter? Because that's where that's where mm-hmm. the that's the where I, I'm, I'm making that little. Uh, chefs you know like uh that's the good stuff movement with chefs my hands because yeah because that's some that's some good that's some good content like uh on the twitter <laughs> so where, where where do we get you on twitter where do we get you on socials absolutely yeah well on twitter cinematic uh underscore under not the dogs someone had taken that asshole um and also <laughs> letterbox uh pumping out yeah reviews all the time uh mm-hmm. heads up that, that'll be me that's uh my letterbox yeah. jordan has his own as well i think it's just under what, what's your name jedi he's not a jedi puga i haven't updated in a while yeah i think it's jedi puga it might be jedi puga 666 depending on my mood yeah. so i've met a <laughs> bunch of people though through letterbox and i always review actually i'm bad at that i'm going backwards and making sure i catch up but i try to always review the films we cover as well on letterbox and link it there so um, nice. And yeah, I got a list too of just our episodes in a in one of the lists. So yeah, I love it. That's what yeah. we do too. But uh, all right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna close this one out. We uh, tune in. Uh, I don't know if this will come before or after, but uh, we're gonna have these guys on again for another Michael Mann episode. So Michael Mann double. Uh, but for now, uh, we want you guys to first off, you know, buy our stuff. We have merch from shirts to stickers. Find your sweet cinephile easy fit swag on T Public. That's T E E public.com slash user slash ruminations radio network. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit, on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, and Instagram at Cinephile Fits. Find both of us, me and Don by name on Letterboxd to check out our film reviews and ratings. We're also on Rotten Tomatoes, and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership and our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive. If you enjoyed this show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirits and topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. 